morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. This morning we're going to begin a roughly 10-week sermon series on the book of Philippians. And I'm sure a number of you might be excited about that. This is a favorite book for a lot of people, and it's uh, one of my favorites. And so it's going to be a good time in hearing from God through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, and probably sometime in the 50s, early 50s AD. And one of the things that's really interesting about the book of Philippians is that scholars think it may reveal that the church in Philippi was Paul's favorite. And I don't know if apostles are allowed to have favorite churches, but scholars think if they were, Paul definitely uh, favored these Philippians. And we'll see that a little bit today and then through the series because of the way he talks to them. It's really quite remarkable. He's definitely had a really powerful relationship with them, a very special friendship with these Christians in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. Uh, many people who lived in Philippi were retired Roman soldiers. There was a strong sense of nationalism, a very interesting place. Not too many formerly Jewish Christians, mostly of these Christians would have been formerly Gentile Christians. And so a very interesting mix, a very diverse congregation. And once again, one that Paul absolutely loved. So I'm excited to study the book of Philippians together over the next few months. And before I read this passage, I do want to just take a moment to acknowledge that what happened in our nation's capital here just days ago was really tragic and wrong. And we should lament what has happened and acknowledge the wrongfulness of it. I think it's very confusing for our society to have seen people involved in insurrection waving flags that says Jesus saves. Because our culture already doesn't understand us, and now there's reason for them to suggest, well, this is what Christians do. This is what Christians believe. We do not do this. We do not believe in insurrection. And therefore, I think we need to acknowledge that it was very sad and historically tragic what took place. Um, we also need to acknowledge where it's coming from. We need to acknowledge that our country is so divided. No surprise, we've been talking about that for some time. But our country is very, very divided, and people, some people suggesting, well, when the president-elect takes office, uh, he'll begin to unite the country. No, not because of him, it's because of our country. And a president or a politician does not have the power or ability to bring unity in this country because you have half the country wanting the country to go one way and you have the other half of the country wanting to go a different direction. So the hopes that human leaders are going to bring unity uh, is a fool's, fool's errand. But there is something outside of us that has the power to bring unity to people of all different walks of life, of all different views, of all different backgrounds, of all different ethnicities, of all different, every barrier you could come up with to prevent healthy unity and relationships. There is something that has the power to work through, break through all of those things, and it's the very core of what we believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's 
ultimately what the book of Philippians is about. This is a time in our country when the church needs to be the church. And needs to live out the unity that we can and should have through the gospel. And the book of Philippians, I believe, will help us a lot with that. That we might do our part. And the relationships and the love and the kindness and the unity that we can experience as a congregation, Lord willing, can spill out into the community around us. So this is an important time. It's an important book. And we should get into it. So hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you, we praise you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, by your spirit, and most of all in the person and work of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Apostle Paul will mention 36 times in four chapters. And we pray that you would bless our time, not only this morning, but throughout this series. That you would work in us and then through us. That you would unite us and send us. That you would equip us and excite us for the continuation of our mission to make disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you're going to sum up the book of Philippians, what is Paul doing in the book of Philippians? I think one of the best ways to understand it would be to say that the Apostle Paul was writing to this congregation that he had planted. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. He's writing to this con uh, congregation that he has planted and that he absolutely loves to teach them how to live more and more Christ-centered lives. 
their congregation, and they're actually probably a pretty mature congregation we'll see here in a few different places in the book, but yet he still is calling them and teaching them how to center their lives more and more on the person and work of Christ, to live their lives centered on Jesus. And this is really important for them, but it's also really important for us because by nature we live very, very self-centered lives. And even as Christians, we can begin to move back towards living a very self-centered life. We need to be lovingly drawn back into the Christ-centered life, an occasional Copernican revolution, if you will, of the soul. So that instead of our life revolving around ourselves, it revolves around Christ. And as Paul is going to be teaching the Philippians, and therefore you and I today, about what it looks like to live a more Christ-centered life, uh, we're going to see that as we live in a more Christ-centered way, it has all these beautiful impacts on uh, very many facets of life. One of those facets being our very relationships. And so this morning, as we are thinking about what it looks like to live a more Christ-centered life as a church together, uh, the thing that we get to celebrate is this, that as we seek to live more Christ-centered lives together, our relationships within the body of Christ can flourish. The more we strive to live Christ-centered lives, the more our relationships are going to flourish. And we see that as Paul talks to this congregation and you see the relationship that he had with them, that they had with him, it is stunning. And so I want to talk about four things that we see in this passage that show us uh, some of the ways in which God has designed for us to have these flourishing relationships one with one another. And so, for example, number one, we'll talk about our shared mission. That strengthens uh, our relationship. It creates this bond. Number two, our sovereign God gives us a very special bond with one another. Number three, our special love. And number four, spiritual formation. Four things, shared mission, our sovereign God, special love, and spiritual formation. Okay, so let's jump in. Look at verses one through three. And first, let's talk about how as we live more and more Christ-centered lives, our relationships within the body of Christ can flourish because of our shared mission. Our shared mission. Verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first notice there that when he says to all the saints, it's important that we make the distinction. Uh, when he says the word saints, he's talking about those who believe and, and their children. He's talking about the Christians at this church that make up this church in Philippi. He's not using the word saints the way the Roman Catholic Church uh, uses it, as if there's some special Christians who accomplish things, and there's few of them. No. In the Bible, you see Paul addressing all of the Christians as saints, holy ones, literally set-apart ones. And he's addressing them that way because he wants them to remember that they've been set apart for a very special purpose, and they have this shared mission with him and with one another. And he talks about that in verse 3. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at what this has done to his relationship with this congregation, who he was with for a time and now is in prison. He's away from them. Uh, look what this has done. Every time he actually just remembers them and then therefore prays about them, he's bursting with joy and thankfulness. Because why? Because of their partnership in the gospel. And what is he saying there? He's saying because of their shared mission that they have and the way that they are very active in living out that mission of advancing the good news of the gospel, of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. They have been very active and on mission, and he has been very active and on mission, and so it has created this bond between them, and he has joy and gratitude when he thinks about them because of their partnership, their participation in the advance of the gospel. And in the same way that that built a relationship between him and them, as, as well as between one another in that church, that is meant to build relationship between us. It's meant for us to be able to look at each other and not just say, yeah, we go to church together, but rather we have a shared mission, the very most important mission. And the more that we think about that, that we're all on mission together, we have this shared mission, the more it develops a bond, the more it develops our relationship. The proof of that is if you think about, there's, if you think about it, there's a number of entities or groups where you see a really strong relationship, and often it has to do with the sense of calling or the cause with which they're involved. I was reading about Navy SEALs, and it's very interesting how close Navy SEALs get, teams of Navy SEALs, how much they trust each other, the bond that they have. In fact, one author was writing about how they get so close and they know each other so well, and because they have such a high calling to protect our nation, they have such a high calling, such a high cause, that they get so close that when they often, when they go into battle, when a SEAL team goes in on a mission, they don't even talk to each other out loud. They don't have to. Often just by looking at each other and slight body movements, they know what they are thinking, they know what to do, they know where to go. They can actually communicate without saying a word. Why? Because they have this relationship that has been built and forged on a very, very important cause, a very, very important shared mission. And while the mission of a Navy SEAL team is critically important for sure, pales in comparison to the mission of advancing the gospel and spreading the good news that people do not have to face the judgment of God for all eternity for their sins. They can run to Christ who has died to pay for those sins. They can receive forgiveness. They can receive the declaration of righteous in God's sight by grace through faith. That's the most important of missions. And the more we think about that, the more it bonds you and me. We have this shared mission. Number two, another thing that happens as we seek to live more and more Christ-centered lives is our relationships within the body of Christ flourish because of our sovereign 
God, because of our sovereign God. Look at verse 6, well-known verse on many a t-shirts and coffee cups. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's a plural you. I am sure of this, that he who began a work, good work in you all, in all of you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that he is certain that it is God who actually did the work of bringing these people together and setting them apart and giving them the shared mission. It is God who has been at work in them, enabling them to participate in the gospel, to believe it, to apply it in their own lives, and to advance it in their city. It is God who has begun it. It is God who is keeping it going. It is God who will continue it till the day of Jesus Christ. It is God who is at work in them to persevere them in their faith all the way to eternal life. It is God, it is God, it is God. God has saved them, God is sanctifying them, God will glorify them. Paul is saying it's all because of our sovereign God. And when you and I believe that, that God is the one who's really at work here, God has been doing these things in us and through us, he will continue to do these things in us and through us, that gives us a bond too. Because we can say to one another what the world can't say to us, and that is that we can remember that we believe in and are blessed by a sovereign God who's good, he's in control, we can't mess up his plans. He is sovereign, he is at work in us, and that enables us not only to believe that, but then also to remind each other to lean on him, to rely on him in the good times and in the bad times. We get to remind each other that we, that God's in control. We can lean on him when we need to, which is all the time, by the way. And, you know, I was thinking about this. There's, um, when you live in Florida, you have palm trees in your yard, okay? As a Minnesota boy, that's just the weirdest thing ever. Also, Christmas lights on palm trees, I will never, I will never get used to that. But when you live in Florida, you have palm trees in your yard. You have to trim palm trees. And so you've got a couple options. You can hire people to come out and do it, or you can try to do it yourself. Well, I decided not long ago um, that we, I wanted to trim the, the palm trees in our yard, so I looked into getting the gear to climb up the tree and do it with a chainsaw at the top. Because you guys know I love chainsaws, and I have a death wish. So what, what I did is I looked into what it would be, what it would cost, and what it would look like if I climbed these trees myself. Now, uh, someone else in our family didn't like that idea, so I didn't do it. But when, when I was looking into it, I learned some things. I watched some videos on climbing trees to cut palm fronds with chainsaws. And one of the things I learned that I would not have known otherwise is the importance of one piece of equipment. You know what the most important piece of equipment is if you're going to climb a tree? Someone said the rope. That's probably right, Karen. You're probably right. Um, it's actually the belt Here's what I mean by that. You have this belt that goes around the tree, and then you got spikes on your shoes. And time and time again, what happens is people try to climb up by staying right next to the tree, and they slide right back down, and they get a lot of splinters. And so these videos, these training videos say you got to lean back the whole time. Lean back. Do not put your weight on your legs as much as on your back. Lean back. Put it on the belt. Rely on the belt. Lean back. Rely on the belt. That helps those spikes stay in, and you stay up. 
so if somebody's new and they are learning to climb a tree, you, at the bottom you yell, lean back, lean back, lean back. And you and I who have a sovereign God, no matter what's happening, you and I get to look at each other and say, lean back, lean on him, lean on him. He's in control. He's good. So we have a sovereign God. He's the one at work. We get to lean on him, rely on him in any given situation. That creates a bond. Number three, as we seek to live more Christ-centered lives, more repentance, more faith, more obedience, as we seek to live more and more Christ-centered lives, our relationships with one another in the body can flourish because of our special love. Special love. Look at verses 7 and 8. This, this is special love. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Now pause. There's two ways you can translate that. You can also translate that it's right for me to feel this way because you hold me in your heart. And scholars have to just kind of choose one or the other. You can say it both ways. It is right for me to feel this way about you because... I hold you in my heart, or you hold me in your heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Get this. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Can we even imagine saying to someone, I yearn for you with the same affection that Christ has for you? Under human power, forget it. But Paul loves them like this because of the love that he's received from Christ. Paul knows what it is to be loved by Christ and the love that Paul has experienced from Christ has expanded his heart and, and enabled him to love these Philippians with a yearning that's just unbelievable with the affection of Christ. He has this powerful relationship with these people because of this special love and again it comes from Christ and if you think about it why did Christ Live this perfect life on our behalf. Why did he go to the cross and die to pay for our sins, to be buried and to be raised from the dead? It's all about relationship, and it's all about love. He did that to repair the relationship that we had with him. It's broken by our sin and the brokenness of the world. He wanted that relationship repaired, so he died for us, but then he also wanted to be with us. He yearns for us. So he rose from the dead so that we might be with him for all eternity. Man, if we had one inkling of the love that Christ has for us, it is the very love that sent him to the cross, the grave, and the resurrection for us. Do you even begin to fathom how much you are loved by Christ? Because if we do... It, what it does is it fills and expands our hearts, and that expansion just hits those around us in this congregation. 
Uh, John Chrysostom said, heat makes all things expand. And the warmth of love always will always expand a person's heart. Heat makes all things expand, and the warmth of love will always expand a person's heart. Yes, of course. When we look at the cross and see that it's the ultimate picture of the love that Christ had for us, when we believe what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love for us, well, that, in, that we, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we know that we are so loved, it actually empowers us fills us so that overflows and we end up loving those around us all the more, even that we might yearn to be with one another with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a special love the world can't manufacture and the world can't copy. There's only one place to get it, and it's in Christ. Special love. Fourth and finally, our relationships with one another as we seek to live more and more Christ-centered lives, our relationships can flourish because of Spiritual formation that is meant to take place. As we seek to grow spiritually together, learning more about God, learning more about who he is, what he's done for us in Christ, applying those things in our lives, pursuing holiness together. As we do that, that enables our relationships to flourish. Therefore, that's why Paul is going to pray for them now. Okay, when Paul prays for something, it's important. And Paul's going to pray for the Philippians. He's going to say what he's praying for about them. And I want you to notice, he's not going to pray that they gain something they don't have. He's going to pray that they gain more of what they already have. Very important. Look at Paul's prayer, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love, pause, they've already got it. It's already there. They have love for one another. They got love for him. They got love for each other. Okay? Play. May abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, read that last phrase again, to the glory and praise of God, to the glory and praise of God. So here's what he's talking about this verse, or that, that um, verse 9 starts about their love expanding, ends in to the glory and praise of God. In other words, it glorifies God when we love each other more and more, when our love abounds more and more and grows and is more according to the word of God. That glorifies God. So if you've ever asked yourself the question, does God want us to really enjoy each other and have really deep fellowship and friendships? Yes, the answer is absolutely, fundamentally, unequivocally, yes. Yes, it glorifies him. Paul's praying that their love will abound more and more, ultimately, for the glory of God, to the glory and praise of God. And now look what he's saying. He's saying he wants their love to abound more and more, but guided. He wants their love to be guided by these things. And so he says uh, uh, more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so you prove what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless. Let me uh, just unpack these just a little bit. But this is, this is spiritual formation when we grow in our understanding and application of such things. Love growing according to knowledge. We might want to sub in there that Paul is, is wanting us to have a theologically sound understanding of love. 
Nearly every time Paul uses that Greek word, epignosis, it's about the knowledge of God or the knowledge of the Son or the knowledge of something having to do with God. And so he's wanting us to have this love that's theologically accurate. Uh, discernment, he says next, that means moral insight. He wants our love to be guided by the Word of God so we know what's right and what's wrong. Not what the culture says is right and wrong, but what's really right and wrong given to us by the Word of God. He wants us to have love that has moral insight so that we can approve what is excellent, so that we can love each other according to biblical ethics. Uh, and then he says to be pure and blameless. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, this is where I get off because I'm not pure and blameless. Uh, here, here's the thing. That's because you're thinking he's saying being perfect. And none of us are perfect. Uh, we can't be. But he's not saying be perfect. His, all the scholars say that what Paul's getting at there, when he is saying that he hopes that they're praised, that they will grow and be pure and blameless in their love, is that it, they won't be hypocrites. So he wants to see the hypocrisy among them take a nosedive. And then what happens is uh, he says that, uh, that they would uh, um, then be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, fruit is one thing and righteousness is another. That fruit's flowing out of the righteousness. What righteousness is he talking about? Well, there's only one kind of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Here he just left out the word faith. Later in chapter 3, verse 9, he'll put it in. Here's what he says in 3, 9. He says, And be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, through what we do, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the righteousness that he's talking about there, being declared righteous in Christ through faith. He just didn't put the word faith in there because he puts it in later. But that's what he's talking about. And so there's fruit that flows out of you and I understanding that in Christ, through faith in Christ, not by anything that we do, but through faith in Christ, we are righteous in God's sight. And when you believe that, then there's fruit that flows out of it. Fruit being loving, kind, genuine, good deeds towards one another, good works, flowing out of the righteousness that we have for free by grace through faith. And when it comes to spiritual formation, Paul's praying that all, their love will grow according to all of these things. But notice, he, again, he's not praying that they will gain something they don't have. He's praying that they will have more of something they already have. And this is a really important thing when it comes to understanding spiritual formation. So many times, Christians make the mistake of thinking that when we're called to grow spiritually, when we're called to pursue God and, and, and build our relationship with him and apply his word in our lives, that God is wanting us to try to become something that we're not. Be what you're not. That's what we tend to think, because that's the way the world works. But this is not the way the gospel functions. When Christ died for us, he took our sin and then he gave us his righteousness. It's ours. We are righteous in Christ. So when God calls us to live righteously, he's calling us to be what we already are, to be what we've already been declared to be. I've declared you righteous, and I want you to live that out. It's not a call to be what you're not. It's a call to be more of what you are. 
It's the same thing that we, we would want uh, of, of a baby, a human baby. You know, when babies are born, uh, they have everything that they're going to have already. And then we, we want each part to grow, right? But it's not like when somebody has a baby, they're holding the baby, and you're like, oh, has his arms come in yet? Have any legs popped out? That is funny. Thank you. Now, why? Because, because babies are born with everything they're going to have. But it's our hope, of course, that they'll grow every part of them. FYI, FYI if you really want to freak yourself out, Google images of x-rays of babies' heads. You are born with all your teeth. Don't do it now. You'll... Don't do it now. Everything's on board. Okay? And, and think about this. When we become Christians, and this is what Paul knew about these Philippians, and this is what God knows about you and I who have put our faith in Christ. When we become a Christian, we, when, we, when we believe in Christ, we are born again. We are born again. Born anew. We become a new creation. We are born again, and we are born righteous in God's sight permanently. And so God says to us, not be what you're not, but rather come and be what I've already declared you to be. For his glory and for our own joy. And in the context of this first opening of the letter, for relationships that are like no other relationships the world cannot manufacture or copy relationships that we can enjoy so much that the watching world might say, can we get in on that? And then we can say, yes. Anybody can get in on this because it's available to all for free in Christ. Here's where I want to apply this. Uh, we're going to be thinking about living a more Christ-centered life all through this series, okay? I need it as much or more than anybody else. Uh, we need it. Um, if you already are blessed with uh, relationships in this church, I'm very excited about that. I know many of you have really good relationships in this church. I want you to know that at any given time, there's new people and there's people who have been here a while and still have not yet built good relationships in this congregation. It happens in any church in America. It happens here too. And here's where I think we can really apply this. Once we see how the gospel can really shape our relationships, if you are someone who is in this church, you are in this church, and you have some really good life-giving relationships, I want to challenge you to reach out and draw in those who don't. Let's not let it be okay that anyone here is not in a growing, healthy relationship with another believer or believers at this church. That should not be okay with us. And it's going to take us opening our eyes and looking around and then drawing people in. And the number one reason that we should be uh, just energetic about drawing people into the relationships we already have is it is exactly what God has done for us in Christ. He has drawn us into the relationship he has with his son, and therefore we are not only saved, but we have the joy of that relationship. So as a way of saying thanks and for the glory of God, if you have good relationships, don't keep them to yourself. Draw people in. Look for people. Watch how God works and builds new relationships with new people. 
through our shared mission and our sovereign God and this special love that we have and the spiritual formation that we experience as we seek to grow into more Christ-centered lives together. In a moment, I'm going to go down there for the first time in way too many months. And we're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, communion. And I want you to stop and think about what communion is for a moment. It is a picture and a reminder of the relationship we have with God because of Christ. It is the reminder that we have been forgiven. We've been set free by grace through faith. And so enemies do not come and eat at the table together. That's what friends do. This is a reminder that God cares deeply about friendship, not only with you, but us with one another. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper for the first time in a long time, let's also celebrate that it glorifies God that we would have good, rich, life-giving relationships with one another. And let's understand that it is going to be through our relationship with him that our relationships with one another can flourish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your kindness and your love and your mercy. Thank you so much for showing us just how important relationships are and that you have, through Christ, reconciled us to yourself. And you want our relationship with you to flourish, and you want our relationships with one another to flourish. And so we just ask that you would be at work in us through this series, through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. Let those who are not connected get drawn in, those who are drawn in experience even more love. May it abound more and more. For your glory and our joy in Jesus' name.